Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, it's me, that big international soccer slash football tournament you've been watching that just concluded. Whether you're happy with the result or sad with the result, either way, you've got a soccer ball-shaped hole in your heart. How could you fill that hole? Well, even though it's not about soccer slash football, you could listen to an episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, just a friendly reminder that we are less than one month away from the beginning of Pot Tour Less. We're doing some shows in the United States. You can get tickets now at potterlesspodcast.com slash live. We start in New York City on August 4th, and we've got a bunch of other shows, Podcast dot com slash live to get tickets. Also, just a friendly reminder that we have so many fun Potterless goodies if you go to patreon.com slash Potterless. From exclusive Wizard on shirts and stickers to our patron-only Discord to bonus episodes to monthly live streams and more, there's so much fun things that you can discover at patreon.com slash Potterless, and you'll get instant access to all of the content that we've been putting out there for five years if you head on over and join now at patreon.com slash Potterless. And speaking of patreon.com slash Potterless, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to our newest patron, Steph, and a huge Huge shout out to our newest producer level patron, Micah Alma Cloward. They join the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemary, Maria, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Nikki, Kine, Sarah, Marta, Flor, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marike, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, the Meadows family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Pita, Callahan, Bella, Melanie, Rees, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Demi, Michelle, Henrika, Casey, Megan, Jack, Stain, Little, Elaria, Gregory, Cawcaw, Ribbon, Jack, Serenity, Haley, Sabrina, Jenny, Eileen, Annette, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Tate, Sam, Sam, Adriana, John, Jody, Dunanash, Emma, Il, Sean, Greg, Matthew, Ping, Vinacek, Nani, Emma, Toff, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never jump into a pool without grabbing a towel first, leaving them with the interesting predicament of, do I walk through the house? wet? Do I shake everything out like a dog? Do I just live in this pool now? What do I do? If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to a whole slew of bonus content in exchange for supporting the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 184 of Potterless, our second episode about Lego Harry Potter's years five through seven, and our final Lego Harry Potter episode guest starring Micah Tannenbaum. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and as an adult, he also played the Lego Harry Potter games. And we are here for our final episode discussing them back again once more from MuggleCast. It's Micah Tannenbaum. Micah, how's it going? Doing well. Yeah, excited to be back for another installment of Lego Harry Potter. It seems like uh, that's been the theme, right? Two episodes 
with each of the uh, MuggleCast hosts for Lego Harry Potter, just because clearly we love this game so much. Right. They're wonderful games. I think they have certainly lived up to the hype. People have been asking me to cover these games specifically for a very long time, and I think that it was for very good reason. They're great games. We can't help but gab about them. And I like talking about things that make me happy, and these Lego games make me happy. So yeah, we're doing four episodes about it. Let's go. Absolutely. So we left off towards the beginning of year six in the Harry Potter years five through seven game. In terms of cutscenes, we are about to have Harry go on the first pensive trip with Dumbledore. So he meets up with Dumbledore, and the way that they do the memory liquid is just small white two-by-two Lego cube square pieces. And it's uh, just that is a very obvious decision for them to make, but also the correct one. Just uh, wonderful. Right. Yeah, I really like that looking in the pensive and just seeing the little Lego pieces floating around because what else would you use as memories but Lego pieces? It makes total sense. Right. And honestly, any liquid, it's more fun when instead of liquid, we just have a bunch of small Legos. Like it's a foam pit, but of plastic. And that does sound pretty painful now that I think about it. But I appreciate that Lego tries to make it more fun than just if it was a vague liquid. Uh, We all know what it is, but now we get the extra little Lego joke. Exactly. When they actually go in the pensive trip, Dumbledore's beard, fantastic. Love it. They give him a little bit of a different look. He looks great. I think he looks absolutely stunning. And the scene itself is very condensed. It basically just has Dumbledore showing Tom Riddle his wand. And then when you see Tom Riddle, his face very quickly turns into Voldemort's face and then back. So there's no lighting the stuff on fire stuff. It's basically just that I guess just to convey to anyone unfamiliar with the story, this kid is Voldemort in the past, because without the dialogue, you might have missed the whole point of this little flashback trip. One of the things that I thought was kind of cool, and we'll see this come to play in the future a little bit, is the bottle kind of signifies a little bit what memory it is that you're about to jump into, and this one had Tom Riddle's face on it. So Mm -hmm. a little bit of a hat tip there to what memory you're about to jump into. Right. It helps with the context clues. And then the next thing that Dumbledore does is he gives an empty one with Slughorn's face on it to Harry and then signals to Harry that he needs to get the memory from Slughorn. Yeah, got to fill it up. Exactly. I am very sad that there is no flashback where you get to see Bob Ogden, who I love. And I would have loved to see the Lego representation of his one piece bathing suit and trench coat combo, which is still, I think, the best niche Harry Potter Halloween costume that anyone could do. I think if you're going to do this at a party and you really want to make someone who is a super fan proud, do this one because it's fantastic. Also, you'll look great. It's just a good look. Oh, yeah. I'm actually all for this. I need to see, there has to be somebody, you know, now thinking about with all the conventions we've been at, have we ever seen that cosplay? If not, it needs to happen. I personally have not. Granted, I have not been to many of the conventions since my fandom is quite new, but I hope that one day, because if someone was a Potterless huge fan and they wanted to dress up to pay some sort of homage to the podcast, I don't really know what you could do to show out for me. I mean, wearing merchandise is always great, and I love seeing people wearing Potterless stuff. But if you wanted to really find a way to cosplay, and you know, maybe people do this at the Potterless live shows, dress as Bob Ogden. I'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the next cutscene has the squad at the three broomsticks. They're drinking butterbeer with Slughorn, and he then gives invites, the Slug Club invitations, to Hermione and Harry. He just rubs Ron's head instead of giving him one, which just really turning up what happens in the movie to 11 and just making it very condescending and awkward at the hands of Slughorn. Sorry, Ron. You're SOL. <laughs> I took away that Slughorn is a bit of an alcoholic from the opening of that scene. He was ah. really kind of down in those drinks. I mean, maybe... <laughs> Maybe it's a stretch. Maybe he just enjoys a drink or two, but he really seemed to uh, down those drinks pretty well. Yeah, maybe it's just I get this way with milkshakes and other liquid-based dessert drinks, not necessarily alcoholic ones. I know that butterbeer is very slightly alcoholic, but I have the problem of when something is good and liquid, I usually drink it way too quickly. I can see Slughorn's pain. I, I usually plow through a milkshake far quicker than I would like to, but you know, it's just hard to make it last sometimes. So we then get to the Slug Club meeting. Harry stands up awkwardly when Ginny enters. Ginny notices and blows him a kiss. So this has been a constant theme throughout the Lego games. They really fast-track the Harry-Ginny relationship situation, which I guess makes sense. It's kind of hard to convey all of that nuance throughout these cutscenes. So they really just let you know right away. They've got the hots for each other, and they both know, and we're making moves as soon as we can. And Cormac picks up on this and then tries to do something similar with Hermione to not the same level of effect that Ginny did with Harry. No, I don't know what... Cormac was going for here, but he kind of covers his mouth with cake and then slurps it away, and Hermione is disgusted. At first, I thought he was just trying to blow a kiss, but he already had cake on his hands. But I think it was an intentional move to say, look how cool I am. I can slurp away all this cake with my tongue. And Slughorn gets very mad at both of these displays of affection. And then after this Cormac licking of the face situation, you cut to Marcus Belby, whose face is already completely covered in food. And he just chugs the rest of his ice cream out of the little dish, which makes Slughorn furious. And he sends everyone out. And Harry ends up staying back to try and get the memory from Slughorn. And what's funny is you would think that this is a Lego exaggeration because he kind of just walks straight up to Slughorn and asks for the memory and Slughorn says no. But that's just about how well it went in the actual book. So it feels really true to form. It did. But what surprised me is it did he make Harry clean up? Was that what was going on there? I don't know. I think in the original thing in the book, granted I've only read it once, I think in the original thing, Harry just kind of hangs back as everyone is leaving. They added in the psycho game, Slughorn getting mad and kicking everyone out, I guess because that is easier to do than to have people slowly mingle and leave the room. I don't know if he made Harry clean up. Maybe Harry offered to clean up, but Harry definitely intentionally tried to hang back and then just had absolutely no chill when he tried to ask for the memory and just did a very poor job. Yeah, the reason why I thought maybe he was forced to clean up was Slughorn gives him the invite to the Christmas party at the very end of that scene. And so I wonder if it was like, okay, job well done, Harry. Here you go. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Regardless, they are doing this just so you get the two Slughorn scenes back to back. We immediately go to the Christmas Slughorn party. While that is starting, you also get a cutaway of Draco with the cabinet. And back at the Christmas party, McClagan licks his hands to slick back his Lego hair. And Hermione just immediately flees the scene, which is very fun. What is it with him and his mouth, though? I, <laughs> I know they played it up in the movies, too. Yeah, they, do, they really did. He does something where I think he eats chocolate off of his pinky or something at one point, the movie decided, and then Lego took this and ran with it, where I guess Cormac's love language is 
showing what that mouth do. Interesting decisions, especially for Lego Cormac McLaggen. Yeah. And as we kind of open up the Christmas party too, one thing is definitely different from what I remember is that Harry is serving food. Oh, right. Instead of Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, makes sense for the purposes of the game, but these little little changes that uh, Lego inserted. Mm-hmm. Got to tweak it up a little bit. Draco is then caught snooping. Harry follows. And then he tells the squad the next day. And then you go to charms class, which is an Aguamenti lesson. And it's a very ridiculous slapsticky scene. You have Ron gushing out so much water from his wand that it shoots Flitwick like a fire hose, shoots him into a chest, which then closes and locks. Harry then tries to break the lock, but it bounces off the chest and it drops a chandelier, which sets the room on fire. And then the next level that you play is a literal trial by fire where you have to use Aguamenti to put out the fire. I thought this was a really well done insertion of Lego because this is not how Aguamenti goes in the books, but you have to learn it for the purposes of the game, and I thought that this hijinks-filled lesson with Flitwick is a fun way to do so. The charms lessons with Flitwick are really fun throughout these games. I was thinking, yeah, good thing you learned Aguamenti 15 seconds ago because the room is about to be on fire. (laughs) It would be a shame if this was the Reparo lesson and it went horribly wrong and you still had a chandelier breaking down because, I don't know, (laughs) would you be able to fix the fire? It's perfect timeliness for the lesson plan of Flitwick. And you probably need it too in the next scene at the burrow because the Death Eaters come and set the burrow on fire. So smart work by Lego, really well-timed Aguamente lesson. Definitely. I always did find it confusing in the movie, first off, why did they add the burrow on fire scene? But then also, why does everyone just stand and let it burn? You're all wizards. And even later in the book, Aguamente is used to help the burning of Hagrid's hut. But in this scene, they just decided, yeah, we're all just going to stand around and let it burn. But the next cutscene is Christmas. Sirius is very worried about becoming a werewolf. And the way that this manifests is him envisioning himself basically doing chores around the house, but with his wolf head, where he's still got the same Lego torso and legs, but a big plastic wolf head. And I thought that was a very goofy way for him to express that. But those little cutscenes where he was doing all the cleaning, super fun. Ginny then lays the moves on Harry with the cookies, and they really ramp it up where there is this slow-mo zoom of Harry slowly grabbing a cookie and preparing to eat it. And then when Ron comes in to sit in between them, it's not in the awkward insert myself in between you way that's done in the movie. Ron just very boisterously plops down between the two of them. And this is just, I think, the perfect example of we all know where this is going, but Lego's decided to make it that much more ridiculous. And the -the over-the-top nature of it is very enjoyable. Well, I will say you do get a kiss payoff not that long after because when Bellatrix shows up at the burrow, she blows them a kiss. (laughs) She does. Bellatrix in this game is so fun. She's not as chaotic, but is more goofy. And I really think it's a fun fit. So the Death Eaters attack. Ginny had baked a cake for Harry and was going to give it to him. But then the Death Eaters come. Bellatrix lands, sets fire, blows a kiss, as you mentioned. And then Harry chases after her. Ginny throws the cake up into the air and also chases after her. The cake ends up landing on Arthur's head. And what's funny is it took so long for the cake to come down that when it finally did land on top of Arthur's head, I had forgotten that Ginny threw the cake up into the air. So it genuinely surprised me and I legitimately laughed out loud. Great slapstick comedy. Lego is really good at it. It makes me wish there was a Lego Three Stooges game. I feel like they would absolutely knock it out of the park. Now, is that the same cake that Ron is eating at the end of the scene? 
while the burrow is burning, by the way. Oh, Mmm, I would like to live in that world where he removed the cake from his father's head and then decided, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. And that's a recurring theme throughout all of these games, right? Ron is always eating. No matter what's going on, Uh he can't pass up the opportunity for food. They've essentially turned him into Brad Pitt's character from Ocean's Eleven, and it's fantastic. A strong choice. So then you've got the Tonks and Lupin fight scene, and you get to play as them. Then you have a Harry Ginny fight scene, you get to play as them. You fight off the fire ring, but the Death Eaters get away. The burrow is set on fire. Everybody's upset. But as you mentioned, Ron is eating cake while watching. And the next scene is so funny because it just shows Dumbledore in his office by the pensive and his evil hand gets a life of its own and it tries to attack Dumbledore. Like it starts clamping at his face. And just as Harry enters his office, he hides the evil hand behind his back. And I just think it's very fun to turn the evil hand into a character, basically, and make it that much more evil. Because how else would you know that it was an evil curse and not just burnt? I think it's a smart choice from Lego. It makes me think back to when we first get introduced to it on the uh, train station platform and Harry refuses to go and apparate with that hand. He goes over to the other one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're they're building this up. They're letting the video game player know that something's wrong with his hand. For sure. When Harry enters, he says he was unable to get Slughorn's memories, so Dumbledore shows him the tampered one, and it's got a big red X over Slughorn's face. So you've got static cutting in and out while they do the pensive trip, and then you've just got a bit of a conversation where Slughorn and Tom Riddle are kind of snickering at each other. And then I think there is is a easel of sorts behind him where he's kind of giving him notes, but then it cuts to the yelling, yelling, very obvious, I told you not to do this kind of deal from Slughorn, which I think was a really well done representation of that pensive trip. It was only a couple of seconds, but it conveyed all of the plot points that you needed to be conveyed. Right. It was great too how they were all interspersed with the static. If you were back in the old day, right? I don't, well, I guess it kind of still happens with TVs. Less so on streaming services these days, more so on kind of the old linear cable where if uh, the power was having some issues or the poor reception, you would get kind of that static to pop up on the screen. Yeah, if it was a modern one, I guess you'd have to have a little buffering wheel or a generic error message from HBO Max or Hulu or Netflix saying that they're sorry, something's gone wrong. You can send an email to this customer support and put in this 17-digit code of letters and numbers for the error code. A whole ordeal. But Harry then fails again to try and get memories from Slughorn. Ron then eats the love potion laced cakes, even though Ramilda Vane isn't really present at all in this, and Lavender Brown is barely present in this. You still have Ron eating these cakes, and he falls in love with a rabbit that was next to him, and then he falls in love with a chair. So again, just the amplifying of all of the ridiculous moments from the Harry Potter series is so fun, and it just makes it so funny. Ron is already much goofier than he already is, so to make his love potion mishap become even more ridiculous and more absurd, I thought was wonderful. It's so enjoyable. There goes Ron, eating again. <laughs> Classic, yeah, he's holding true to form. So Harry brings the lovesick Ron to Slughorn, and then in the level, you have to make the potion that will cure him. Slughorn gives it to Ron while Ron is on his shoulders, kissing his cheek and his neck and his face all over. Ron is then cured. The three of them all toast. Ron takes a sip of the mead and he is immediately not good. And just the intensity at which he stiffens up and falls over and then starts squirming around is just very, very fun. Mm -hmm. 
I had written down here, Ron goes into exorcist mode where he just, Uh, it's like he's fully possessed by a demon after he drinks that mead. But again, I really enjoy the comedy of these games. You talked about Ron just kissing all over Slughorn and it's fun kind of going back and watching these scenes after not having seen them in a while. And I think as we kind of go through and talk about them, the thing to keep in mind is that all of these scenes are essentially playable. Like we're talking about the cutscenes, but the fact that you can actually go in and kind of play through all these individual moments is what makes the game so great. Yeah, the game balances the cutscene stuff and the levels really well in that the cutscenes are pretty much just doing things that it wouldn't make sense for you to do as one of the characters. But anytime you are just doing straight up magic, you get to actually do it, which is really fun. And no cutscene really drags on really long. None of the levels really go a long time without having a cutscene interspersed. The pacing is really nice and it makes it really fun that you just get to alternate between chill levels and intense levels and cutscenes all interspersed in between. It just makes for a really fun experience that doesn't feel stagnant. And it honestly makes it very hard to put the game down when you are playing because it's so easy to be like, I'll just do one more level or I'll just get to the next cutscene. And you just want to keep going and going and going. So Harry gets the Bezor, puts it into Ron, and he is cured. But even when he is cured from the Bezor, he writhes around, and it's the comedic thing where basically mini teleports from pose to pose until he's all good. And uh, it's just so funny. He transitions from being straight up and stiff to curvy and upside down, and he moves laterally and longitudinally, and uh, it's just very, very fun. Moving all over the XYZ axis as he comes back to life. Slughorn then sees on the back of the note, the one side of the note has a face for him, and then on the back, it has a face for Dumbledore, and then you immediately cut to Draco sneering in the window, so very clearly letting you know, oh, this was meant for Dumbledore, and it was poisoned by Draco. So they cut out all the Rosemurta stuff, which makes sense, and you just get straight to, Draco is behind this. They also got rid of the whole Katie Bell getting possessed thing, which I think is also good, because that scene in the movie is terrifying, and has scarred me forever. It's probably one one of the most, if not the most terrifying scene in all of, from a movie standpoint, Harry Potter. 100% horrifying. So then we have another Draco cabinet scene. He sends a Lego parrot through the cabinet. Ron and Harry then follow him into the bathroom. A fight ensues. You play out the fight in the game. But after you finish the fight scene, you have a cutscene of Harry looking through the book, the Half-Blood Prince textbook, and he does Sectum Sempra. And it's so funny because obviously there is no dialogue in these scenes. It's just all different gibberish. But the game finds a way where even though Harry just says, ba-da-ba-da-ba, you know he's doing Sectum Sempra, and it just, it sounds different from all of the other times you're casting spells. So if you knew Sectum Sempra was coming up, obviously you know it's going to happen. But even if you weren't sure, the way that he says it makes it really feel like he's doing an intense spell. And the way that it manifests is it doesn't make Draco have blood coming out from all over. Instead, it separates his leg Lego bits from his torso. And then Snape comes in and he does the healing thing. And what's funny about it is the situation that just happened to Draco looks comical. His torso and his legs came apart. But when Snape is crouched over him, healing him, and with the mumbling, it's just as sentimental and dramatic as it is in the movie. So just the dichotomy of very silly thing happened to Draco, but Snape is being very serious with ha-da-da-da-da. It's, gosh, it works so well. It really does. It really does. And uh, I, I actually chuckled a little bit too when Harry was just kind of paging through the Half-Blood Prince book, trying to come up with the perfect spell. Meanwhile, he's 
about to duel somebody. So just the fact that he would take 15 or 20 seconds to page through a book to find the right spell (laughs) before uh, engaging Draco in the duel. It's really, really fun. I also was just genuinely excited for and then taken by surprise when the leg and torso separation happened because you know Sectum Semper is coming up and I knew that the Lego games like to make things a little sillier and more kid-friendly. So I was very intrigued to see, I wonder what they're going to do instead of just make blood come all over. I was not anticipating torso separate from legs. So it was very fun and I let out a little pop when it happened. So Ginny takes Harry to the room of requirement to ditch the book, and you come across a bird escaping from the cabinet. Ginny then grabs the book, flings it away, and plants a big kiss on Harry. And this scene made me have a realization that Lego Ginny Weasley is a more accurate representation of Ginny than the movie Ginny Weasley. Lego Ginny is closer to book Ginny than movie Ginny is. It's wild. I think Eric would probably really like to hear you say that because he is a huge book Ginny fan and feels like through no fault of Bonnie Wright. Uh, Right, right, right. But through the fault mostly of those who produce the films that she just doesn't get the airtime and the character development that she deserves. Mm -hmm. I know continuously calling out Ron moments, but the fact that Ron initially suggests to destroy the Half-Blood Prince book by using a pair of scissors. (laughs) Again, just kind of another comic moment, classic Ron trying to offer his help, but not doing a very good job. Right. And this is something that Eric talked about in the previous episodes where there are little moments where the Lego cutscenes do a better job of showing some book motifs than the movies did. And Ron throwing out terrible suggestions and accusations happens throughout the entire series. So for Lego Ron to suggest, yeah, let's cut it with scissors, I think holds true. And I also agree that book Ginny is not represented well in the movie. And I'm glad that Lego Ginny is here to save the day for my favorite character in the series. So Harry then sees Slughorn again, and he takes the Felix Felicis, which causes him to do an Irish jig, and then four-leaf clovers start emanating from him. And my first thought was, why did Harry take an Irish potion? Oh, luck of the Irish. (laughs) It took me a bit, but I thought that was a really creative way for them to let it be known. And even if it wasn't clear enough there, you immediately have Harry when he sees Slughorn trying to take the snippets of the plant that he's going to sell for money. Harry walks under an open ladder and he is completely fine. And Ron goes under it and he gets hit in the head with a bucket, which I thought was funny and a great way to say, oh, Harry's taking the luck potion. And then Ron gets up and then immediately gets hit in the head with a second bucket, which I did not see coming. And I almost did a spit take from the water I was drinking while this scene was playing. Yeah, you get a couple of moments throughout the course of these games where you think you're going to have another character go along with you that isn't consistent with the canon. Like, perfect example here, Ron accompanying Harry, but then getting cut off by the ladder, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, or the bucket that falls on his head after he gets bad luck. But uh, I think it happens to Hermione a little bit later on as well when she's running, when they're like running through some area and she like runs into a tree or something and Harry continues on by himself. But again, just kind of little creative ways to separate some of these characters from each other so that they can kind of move forward with the storyline. Yeah, it's well done. 
Harry then helps out Slughorn with the plant. His eyes turn into Lego doubloons as if you had a pirate set. Really great little detail. Love that. And then you get attacked by a giant plant. Very different from the book. I enjoy this, though. You have to fight the plant in the game. And then you get onto the Aragog scene where you've got the dead Aragog. Hagrid has a picture of a young himself with a tiny Aragog, which is just absolutely adorable. It's so cute. Definitely. And then again, when Slughorn realizes that he can get the venom from Aragog, his eyes turn into the Lego doubloons again. Harry whispers into Slughorn's ear, and then you get this daydream-type imagination bubble from Slughorn where you envision making a pump system to pump the venom out of Aragog and then you have to do that in the game which I just felt so bad for Aragog it just feels like a very intense way just to straight suck him dry of all the venom felt like a bit much yeah but Slughorn man so you make the pump you pump out the venom and then Harry breaks Aragog into pieces and then buries him just straight removes him and it very much reminds me of the scene in Monsters, Inc. when Sully thinks Boo is going through the trash compactor and every time Sully sees a new machine of what is happening to the Boo trash pile, he keeps fainting. That's basically what Hagrid is doing as Harry just rips Lego Aragog to shreds and I just thought it was so funny but also I feel bad for him trying to imagine what it would actually be like but it was it was a really fun scene. Yeah. So then you take Hagrid back to his hut to sleep and And you see on his wall that he's got a framed photo of Lily with baby Harry and Hagrid. And at that point, Lego Harry just points to that photo. Slughorn then just immediately willingly gives away the memory. So again, you have another scene of Dumbledore being in his office and Harry entering. And Dumbledore has to deal with the evil hand. Again, the evil hand tries to attack him. And just as Harry enters, he shoves it in his beard. And then you get the flashback using the correct memory. And you get to see exactly how Tom Riddle made the Horcruxes. And I gotta say, the way that Lego Harry Potter explained the Horcrux thing with this little cutscene is so well done. So you have Slughorn and Tom Riddle in front of a chalkboard, and then it kind of pans into the chalkboard, and you get to see a little Tom Riddle take his wand and then put it on himself, and six hearts come out of his chest. And one turns into the ring, one turns into the book, one turns into the locket, and then there are three question marks. And the little Tom Riddle laughs maniacally, and then you cut to the Tom Riddle outside of the chalkboard, taking notes, and he starts to laugh maniacally, and his face switches back and forth from Tom Riddle face, who, Tom Riddle, looks great, really cool Lego hair. It switches between that face and the Voldemort face. And I just thought, in a matter of three seconds, they explain... The Horcrux thing, so succinctly. It is so impressive. It is. And that board is important. It comes into play a lot over the course of these next two years. A lot of references to that board. Definitely, yes. So Dumbledore then has a little infographic Lego thin square piece that he gives to Harry. And it has the book and the ring and they have X's through them. And then the locket is there and then the other ones are question marks. He then points to the locket to signify to Harry that's the one that they're going to get. So they apparate out of the office and you end up in the game making a bright orange and yellow Lego paddle boat to go to the cave. And once you get inside, you're attacked by the Inferi. Dumbledore fends them off with the fire. And after you beat this level, you get the locket and you head out. They skip through all of the Dumbledore torture juice. So I think that's 
probably the the wise decision because I don't really know how you convey something that they don't even convey in the book. We don't even know what really happened. So to have to translate that into Lego, I think would be impossible. So they just completely skip over that and you just get the locket and leave, which I think makes sense. Yeah, for gameplay purposes, it definitely makes sense. One of the other moments I really enjoyed during this whole sequence was when they first land on the rock in the middle of the sea and they both almost fall off of it. But then Harry is able to pull up Dumbledore and then cradles him kind of romantically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like they're about to go into their um, honeymoon suite. I thought that was a little weird, but you know, it's Lego. So just roll with it. They're just showing that they have care and affection for each other in a non-creepy way. You got to charade out love somehow with Legos, and that's how they do it. <laughs> so then you have Draco opening the cabinet with all of the Death Eaters coming out, and Harry and Dumbledore apparate to the top of the tower. Dumbledore sends Harry away, and Draco comes up, disarms Dumbledore. Snape then does the shush thing under the floorboards that was only in the movie, not the books. Draco can't do the deed of Dumbledore. So Snape, who genuinely does look very torn up, they do a good job of the facial expressions of making him look very conflicted. Definitely. He finishes the job and hits Dumbledore with the Avada Kedavra spell. He kind of stumbles around a little bit and he gets to the ledge and goes completely stiff and starfishes, sticking out his arms and legs. And then he falls off of the balcony of the astronomy tower and then the evil hand much like thing in the adams family bounce bounce jumps off as well with him so i like that the evil hand even though it was evil it had a little mini redemption arc where it needed to be with dumbledore and it didn't go on to be the villain in a horror movie about an evil lego hand that terrorizes the lego town very true i really enjoyed that and then i loved how after dumbledore falls all the death eaters including snape by the way are wearing party hats <laughs> Yes, I was not expecting the party hats, but it was really, really fun. Bellatrix then shoots the dark mark into the sky, and this disappointed me because the dark mark in the first game, they made it out of Lego pieces when they did the year four stuff. The dark mark this time around was just a big skull. And when they did the big skull in the intro of year six, it made sense because in the movie, it's just a vague skull out of clouds that the Death Eaters fly out of in the intro. But this time it was supposed to be the dark mark and they did the same big skull, which made me sad mainly just because the dark mark that they made out of individual Lego pieces in the year one through four game looked really cool. Cool. And I wanted to see it again. So I was a bit let down. They settled. Yeah, they really did settle. <laughs> then you have a new level, I guess, rather than the whole battle that takes place, you just have a level where as Harry and Ginny, you chase after Bellatrix. And then that kind of merges into the book scene that we know where Harry is running after them and Snape is there and all of that. Bellatrix does a lot of tongue sticking out, I realized. Just a lot of stuff from Bellatrix, which is very fun just to really drive home that she's an evil Death Eater type. You get the classic Harry Snape scene where he reveals that he is the half-blood prince. And then when they leave and Harry goes back to where Dumbledore fell off of the tower, it's very comically done where his head is just completely submerged in the ground and there's dirt all around and you basically just see his legs sticking up. Everybody's sad. Harry takes the locket. Everyone does the wands up thing to shoot away the dark mark. And this next bit, I think I can definitively say is the funniest thing in the entire two game series. I laughed so hard, so, so, so hard. Harry grabs the locket. He opens it up 
and it's got a little note that just says R.A.B. on it. But then on the other side of the locket, there's a ghostly like semi-transparent Lego head. And this is obviously R.A.B.'s head. And he, <laughs> he just pops up and blows a raspberry going and <laughs> And it goes away. And Harry just closes the locket and chucks it over the railing. Yeah. It's so, oh my God. <laughs> Great way to end year six, though. It's like, it gets the point across, but I was just expecting there to be an RAB note inside of it. But to have the raspberry blowing Regulus head inside, and then for Harry to get so upset over it, oh, God, perfect comedy. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I kind of hope that it would have just ended there because the next scene with Fox, I'm not really sure what that was. Like, he, is he dive bombing them and then just like piecing out? I didn't really understand what that was all about. Yeah. I think what it is, is to represent that in the end of the movie, and this also happens in the book, but not right at the end. I think you have the Fox song, the song of lament that he sings for Dumbledore to let them know that, you know, everything's going to be okay kind of situation. I think they were just putting that in there, but because this isn't actually the end of the game, it's just the end of the year six portion of the game. I personally would have loved if it just ended with Harry throwing the locket off the railing and just seen, and then you get into your seventh. That would have been fantastic. Agree. You know what also would have been fantastic, Past Mike? Hey, everyone, it's me, Editing Mike. How's it going? If you would have just given me the natural transition into what I am doing now, which is transitioning us into Wingardium Adridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Calm. Let's say hypothetically that you are playing Lego Harry Potter and you are stressed out by the fact that there is so much to do in this game. The thought of 100%ing it is daunting to you. You need to relax a little bit. What could help you do so? You could use the app Calm. Calm is the number one mental wellness app that gives you the tools to improve the way you feel. You can clear your head with guided daily meditations. You can improve your focus with their curated music tracks and you can drift off to dreamland with their imaginative sleep stories. All of these things from Calm are great. I've listened to all of them and I approve of all of them. I especially enjoyed the guided meditations as someone that has no idea how to meditate. It was nice for someone to lead me through it, and it didn't feel patronizing or overly flowery. It was nice and simple, just giving you solid instructions of breathe in, think about this, do this, focus on this, and it was nice. It was very straightforward, and it didn't feel like I was being talked down to in any way. It just helped me relax, genuinely. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds, so if you want to sleep more, stress less, or live better, or all of the above, you can do so with Calm. And for Powder Hills listeners, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Potterless. So go to calm.com slash Potterless for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and they add new stuff each week. That's calm.com slash Potterless to get 40% off Calm premium and start being more calm about the daunting thought of 100%ing Lego Harry Potter today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Anatomy of an ad. 
subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, Neville Longbottom is someone who likes to collect cards. He likes to collect the chocolate frog cards. And it's got to be a frustrating experience for him to be ripping open all these chocolate frog things, hoping for particular cards. What if there was slightly less randomness in the mix? What if he had a better sense of what cards he could get? Ooh, that sounds like something that could intrigue you if you were trying to get muggle versions of trading cards and stuff. And if that's interesting to you, you should check out Arena Club. Arena Club is a website and service where you can do all sorts of things in the world of trading trading cards, whether that is sports trading cards or Pokemon cards, you can utilize Arena Club and they have so many cool things. One of the coolest things that they have is slab packs. Slab packs give you more transparency when it comes into ripping open packs and hoping for particular cards in a pull. And I recently opened up a slab pack with Arena Club and it was nice because rather than it just be like this complete black box of I have no idea what cards I'm going to get, they show you a list of, oh, here are the different cards that you could get from this pack. Here's the percentages. And then what's also nice about it is that if you don't like whatever card you get, you can just sell it right on back to Arena Club and then boom, you can take those funds and use them to get other cards because they also have a full marketplace where you can search for individual cards. I did that as well. I wanted to get a particular Pokemon card. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu. It's holographic. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now and it's proudly in my studio. Arena Club is a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, display, minting, all sorts of good stuff. If you are involved or interested in any sort of card collecting, trading cards, stuff like that, I think Arena Club will be right up your alley. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash potterless. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack, for example. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So check that out if you want to have a little less randomness in your life, whether it is with muggle trading cards or chocolate frog cards like Neville today. So now we get into year seven, the final segment of our Lego Harry Potter coverage. So you've got the Dursleys with their car just completely packed up. It's got a trailer with suitcases upon suitcases upon suitcases, and they just drive away immediately. And the Order of the Phoenix is at the house at Privet Drive. You get the seven Potter scene, and then you fly with Hagrid. There is no Hedwig, maybe because Hedwig, I don't think, has been in these games at all all? I think there's only one scene with Hedwig, maybe? So, for continuity or just to avoid the sad scene of Hedwig dying, no Hedwig in the Seven Potters scene. No. Actually, now that you said that, it makes me think that I don't think we've seen her at all in the games that we've talked about. Mm -mm. I don't know if she came up at all when you were talking with Eric about years one to four. If folks are looking for a comedic moment, though, uh, in that, and there are a few, but what I enjoyed the most was um, Eye Moody awkwardly assessing Hagrid's hug of the trio. Oh, I missed this. I, I didn't remember. What does he do? He just gives kind of one of those faces as if he doesn't really understand. It's similar to uh, like Brendan Gleeson in the movie. Just he's all business and he doesn't have time for these kind of emotional moments between friends. What? What is this? 
familial love that these people have for each other I, it just doesn't compute yeah so the death eaters then attack you've got the scene where voldemort is flying and chasing after harry then you have the red sparks coming out of the wand thing and voldemort is gone you are then at the burrow and scrimger approaches the squad he does all of the will stuff where he gives the book to hermione the put outer not the deluminator to ron and the snitch to harry and then he uh, then he leaves. Right after this, you've got Bill and Fleur's wedding, where Hermione, they really make her look very profound in the dress. It almost made her look older than a student. Like, she looks like a full-on adult in the Lego getup that she's got on. And it's funny to pair that with Ron, who is very much acting like a kid because he's eating cake with each hand. He's got one slice in each hand, which is the right move at a wedding. A hundred percent. Ron, any opportunity he will eat, he'll find food no matter where he is. <laughs> it's amazing. And I like the change here, though, because I think for people who were moviegoers and remember Deathly Hallows Part 1, it's Kingsley's Patronus that kind of comes in through the top of the tent. But in Lego Harry Potter, they actually use Kingsley himself, and he kind of gets like thrown into the middle of the floor as if he's just been bounced out of a club. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really funny entrance. And in the movie, I think they just had a sphere. In the book, it was his links. And in the movie, it's just a sphere, which did the 3D department just not want to do it? Like, that would have looked really cool. And then in this one, yeah, you have him coming in as if there was an explosion behind him because there is fire in the window behind him. So it's a very action movie of him. Mm -hmm. Right before this happens, though, Harry does shake hands with Xenophilius and notices the Deathly Hallows symbol on his necklace, setting the stage for that connection to be drawn later. So you've got a fight against Bellatrix and the Death Eaters. And then Ron picks up a piece of cake while... Harry and Hermione scream at the entrance of the evil folks, which is fantastic. I think it's from the cake that Bellatrix popped out of. Let's not forget that she busts out of a cake. That is, you know, something <laughs> that I would pay to see. It's very, oh gosh, I, I want it to be canon now. This is just a fantastic addition. So they apparate away and you go to the diner and in the diner, the squad is reading the paper. And on that, you see that Umbridge is wearing the locket and that's setting up the stage to get it from her. You get attacked by the Death Eaters. You have a fight level against them. Hermione then obliviates them after you defeat them in the game. And Harry signals that they should sneak into the Ministry of Magic. They do this really quickly. They basically just cut immediately to a polyjuicine. It doesn't make complete sense, though, because it's just one Ministry worker walking by. They kind of yank her into an alley, and then they all drink polyjuice potion, but they don't turn into different looking people. They all just kind of look like older versions of themselves. So I don't really know what taking this one woman ministry employee did for them. I don't know if it was going over my head or if it didn't really make sense. Maybe they just stole her ID card and then they had a different potion. I don't really know what's going on. It definitely felt a bit weird, I guess, maybe because we don't follow the storyline and go to Grimmauld Place. They just completely cut that from the video game and didn't include Creature and Dobby and Mundungus and that whole storyline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a couple of these cutscenes, a couple of the transitions that are a little weird and I think challenging to follow if you're not somebody, or I guess even if you are somebody who is familiar with 
the Potter books and movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it was just one person when they all need to do polyjuice stuff. It just it just felt a bit strange and confusing, but they all just look like older versions of themselves. Ron has a mustache. Harry's got some stubble. Hermione's got new hair. They all have fancier clothes. Harry's hair is slicked back and actually looks really nice. I think it's a good look for Harry. He should ditch the bowl cut and go to a slick back hair look. It looks great. So you go into the ministry. Ron and Harry go through the pamphlet making room and go into Umbridge's office, but there's no locket there, so you have to head down the elevator. You interrupt the trial, and Harry is so mad at Umbridge that his hair starts to pulse off of his Lego head, and then he shoots a spell at her. The locket goes flying, Hermione grabs it, then you have a scene where you're running from the Dementors, and then you get the classic lady that you've saved kissing Ron, thinking that Ron is her husband, and then you you see the Legos that I guess they stole the clothes from in their underwear. Yeah, that was great. Uh, you see the, the Lego guards. Lucius then chases after them, and then you are able to escape. The other thing I liked about that, too, when they were running away from the courtroom was that Ron just closes the door on the Dementors. I mean, who would have thought that was the easiest thing to do? You just needed to close the door. Such a simple solution. What's the law that the some the most obvious solution is the easiest one or something? One of the one of those laws, not Murphy's law, but the other one, that one. <laughs> Occam's razor. I'm smart. It's Occam's razor. <laughs> So after they've teleported away, you've got the first of the camping scenes. They all try to shoot spells at the locket, but nothing works. Ron grabs it, and he instantly looks rough, just so sad and mopey and down in the dumps, and he scurries into the tent that Hermione built. So Hermione and Harry then just go to Godric's Hollow to try to find one of the Horcruxes. And I will say, I think the shortening of the camping and the way that they've hybrided some of the scenes together... I think it's a really well done of condensing it. I think it's something that people who just read the books complained about the camping scenes in general. So to trim some of the fat here, I think was very well done by Lego. It was. And to your point, you don't get the whole Ron running off storyline. He's kind of there in the background at the camp, presumably, as Harry and Hermione go off to Godric Hollow. One of the other cool things to mention about in the tent itself is that you can actually go over to the Marauder's Map, which is sitting on the table in the tent, and go back to Hogwarts. And you can play as characters like Luna, Seamus, Dean, Neville, because they are still at school. And LEGO wanted to give video game players the opportunity to not miss out on Hogwarts for such a long period of time. So very well done. It's really smart thinking on their part, and it gives you the chance to be some characters that you haven't been so far. Before they go to Godric's Hollow, Ron just chucks the locket at them from the tent, and they leave. Hermione puts flowers on the potter's grave, and then Bethilda is right behind them, and she looks rough. She looks very much like a dead person with a snake inside of her. She even has a snake tongue come out of her mouth. The tongue, yeah. Which is really funny. And the way that she walks, again, just turning everything up to 11, the way that she walks very much looks like there is a Lego snake inside of her Lego body. And it's so comical. The two of them follow her. You go upstairs. She turns into the snake and attacks you. You have to defeat the snake. Then Harry is walking around and the snake attacks you again. And at this point, it breaks Harry's wand and you apparate out of there. Really just great moment when they're first fighting Nagini, when Hermione pulls out a chair like she's about to tame a lion and Harry pulls out flowers. What are flowers supposed to do? Maybe they smell really bad. Maybe it's the rock, paper, scissors combination where 
flowers to feed giant snakes. Who's to say? I like that. So Harry and Hermione then chase after a doe patronus. And as you mentioned, Hermione just gets straight clotheslined by a log sticking out, just absolutely smacked by it. Harry continues on, sees the sword in the lake. He derobes and dives in. And then you cut to a speedo clad Ron Weasley doing the same. He tries to pose and look suave, but he falls over and then slides on the ice into the pool. And again, I just thought this was a creative way of altering with the story a bit to make the gameplay feasible for a two-player level, but also just a fun alternate reality where Ron went in just immediately after Harry to try and get the sword. I'll be honest, I never expected to get an ass shot of a Lego (laughs) video game character the way we do with Ron. (laughs) But it was funny. You also get the unzipping noise, too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just prior to that when Harry is disrobing. It's, you know, kind of dirty humor a little bit, Mm -hmm. which I think we're all here for. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of when you're watching a kid's movie and there's some little joke for the adults. It's approaching lewdness without actually doing anything that's lewd. So Harry goes in to get the sword, the locket starts to resist, but then Ron goes beast mode, grabs the sword and Harry and swims up with both of them. Powerful stuff from Ron Weasley. That is an impressive athletic display. Amazing. Harry parcel tongues open the locket and a little Voldemort head pops out and then you get the big black smoke thing that looks really cool from the movie. They do a good job here in the Lego cutscene as well. Ron then breaks it with the sword and they begin to celebrate. You walk back to camp. Hermione's reading the Beetle the Bard textbook, and it's just a big Deathly Hallows logo on the page that she's reading. And when Ron comes back, you get the classic scene of her slapping Ron and then hugging him right after. And Harry, at this point, breaks the fourth wall to look at the person playing the game like, eh, these two, am I right? That was a cute moment there. So cute. And I think that might have been the first fourth wall break, which... Very well done, Lego, to make it that long without doing one. It made for a really good moment. Mm -hmm. So you go to Xenophilius' house, but first, before the squad arrives, you see the Death Eaters show up, ask for Harry, and then take Luna away when she says that she hasn't seen Harry. Xenophilius is then, of course, very excited to see Harry when he shows up, tries to stall him by doing an Irish jig inside the house. They dismiss this. Hermione does so by having a record scratch stop noise happen and then asking about the Deathly Hallows logo in her textbook. And Xenophilius is a bit nervous. He's just a complete hectic mess. He's so jittery and frantic, and it's very fun. It reminded me a bit of when we were at the Burrow a little bit earlier on with Scrimgeour and how he was just kind of like popping up in different places around the living room. And Xenophilius has a little bit of that edge to him as well, where he's just... He's anxious and he's just all over the place. He even dresses up as Luna at one point, which is a little awkward. Yeah, definitely. They go upstairs to drink some tea. Ron just chugs it in one gulp. Everyone else was sipping on it. Classic Ron. And then you get a really cool level after Xenophilius explains the Deathly Hallows a little bit, you get to play out the three brothers scene and it's all sepia toned and you fight against the death representation. So it's a mix of Legos, but then also Legos made to look like those puppet type shapes from the scene in the movie. It was a really, really cool level. I thought it was awesome. Lego death looks super creepy. Mm -hmm. This goes to what we were talking about earlier when you literally can play your favorite moments from the Harry Potter books and movies in a way that I don't think any other video games to date have allowed you to do that. And sorry, I can't think of one off at the top of my head, but 
yeah, you can play the Tale of the Three Brothers. Where else can you do that? Mm-hmm. It's funny because this game came out a little bit later, but I remember in the early to mid-2000s, Every movie that came out had a movie companion game, and you would always get the video game and the movie and play them through, and that trend seemingly has gone away. But I think that this playthrough is a really fun way to play through your favorite scenes from the movie, like you're saying, and I just didn't expect this to be a playable level. Even when it was showing up in the cutscene, I was thinking, oh, this will be really cool. You'll get to see the whole thing as a cutscene. I'm interested to see how they do it as Legos. But then when I actually got to play that part out, I was so pleasantly surprised. It was such a great moment, and it just made for a really fun experience to firsthand play through the Three Brothers tale. Mm -hmm. So when Hermione then asks where Luna is, Xenophilius fails to disguise himself as Luna and then just breaks down, spills the beans, and the Death Eaters arrive. The squad apparates out of there, and then you've got the Snatchers scene immediately after this. And I gotta say, one of the Lego Snatchers is a black man, which is better representation than the movie did. <laughs> Go Lego! <laughs> So while you're running, Hermione does the spell to Harry's face to disfigure him. And when you cut to Malfoy Manor and you get to see Harry's disfigured face, it's not like the movie where he just looks puffy and all of that. His head is just completely replaced by a red single brick Lego thing. Just the smallest Lego brick piece that you can have with his face just plastered on the outside of it. Genuinely hilarious moment. So funny. What a great choice. Really great choice. Harry and Ron then get thrown in the dungeon, and Dobby helps Luna and Ollivander escape. Dobby hits Pettigrew with a spell, and then Bellatrix starts interrogating Griphook. And at this moment, I gotta say, the LEGO games did a very good job of not just making all of these characters look the same. Griphook and Creature and Dobby all look like distinct house elves. I could tell who they all were. It was really nice. Definitely. And one of the things too about being in that cell is those are all playable characters, right? And you need each of them to be able to get out of there because they all have unique capabilities, right? especially somebody like Grip Hook with ability to use keys to open different chests and other devices. So kind of again to what we were talking about, what makes this game different, what makes it unique is, well, you can play as Luna, Grip Hook, Ollivander, and obviously Harry and Ron, but the key in the cell is that you're wandless. You don't have your wands, so you need to be a little bit more creative there than you otherwise would. Yeah, the puzzling that they do is really fun. I think they do a really good job of it in this game in particular as compared to the first game. And yes, I like that in this game especially, a lot of the puzzling comes from not necessarily stuff in the room or just breaking everything and then hitting circle and then just auto-making whatever you need. A lot of it comes from this character can do something and I have to do it. And whether that's a character having a particular pet or an ability like your example here it's really well done and it's a fun element of the game where you don't just get the joy of playing through the levels as a different character just because it's fun to play as luna but also you have to play as particular people and it just makes it very unique and i really enjoyed it definitely then when you go upstairs and you have the whole fight scene after harry and ron bust in dobby has a wrench where he is breaking the chandelier so that it will fall and just before escaping instead of bellatrix throwing a knife dobby blows a raspberry at bellatrix and they start to apparate away she gets upset and just uses magic to hurl all sorts of junk in your direction. So then when you finish the apparition, Dobby just gets crushed to death by all of the 
items that went along with you. And I thought that this was a very creative workaround to the Dobby death without making it not kid-friendly in terms of a knife going into this beloved Lego figure. I thought that was really, really well done. Hats off to Lego. Agreed. Yeah, I made a note that it was almost like she threw everything the kitchen sink, everything was included that got thrown at Dobby. Truly. And that it would have been a little bit weird just because I don't think if you look back on the death set of cards so far, you know, they've found a way to make it tasteful and and in some cases comical, right? You mentioned earlier how Dumbledore is just kind of his head is stuck in the ground. Mm -hmm. That's how you leave him. Yep. Uh, with Dobby, there's a little bit more of a sentimental burial that I'm sure we'll talk about, but two sets of raspberries. How about that? Just a short period of time. The raspberry per minute ratio is really solid here. <laughs> so Harry then holds Dobby's torso as he dies. And at this point, I realized that losing your legs is a sign of harm or death in the Lego world because Cedric broke into the three pieces. When Draco gets hit with Sectumsempra, he gets separated later on. We'll see when Bellatrix gets defeated. She also is separated, so that is the representation of death here. And instead of burying Dobby under a rock, they bury him under a sandcastle with a sock flag on top of the crenellated ramparts. Shout out to crenellated ramparts. And oh man, so fun. So, so, so fun. A fitting tribute for Dobby. Truly, truly fitting. So... Voldemort then takes the wand out of the grave. He really has to yank it, goes flying when he finally breaks free. And then you have the breaking into Gringotts preparation where Harry puts Grimpook on his shoulders and Hermione drinks Polyjuice Potion to become Bellatrix. And then she shoots a spell at Ron's face that basically gives him a Groucho Marx style glasses, big nose, mustache thing. And then you apparate to Gringotts. And when you arrive at Gringotts, Hermione first tries to wave hi, and then Ron has to go, uh-uh, and then she immediately goes, to be Bellatrix, which is a perfect representation of Hermione not remembering that she had to be mean once she got into Diagon Alley. Right. It's very reminiscent of that scene in Deathly Hallows Part 2, where she says, morning mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh grip hook yells at her for doing that very very fun the goblin then stares at ron unbelievingly and his little fake glasses mustache thing starts to slide off of his face and then he has to move his hand to readjust it just that tiny little comedic moment that worked so 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 well Harry then does the Imperious spell. You go into the whole roller coaster thing, and then you fall. Harry has to do the second Imperious spell. You get into the vault. Grip Hook snarls at Harry until they make eye contact again, and then he smiles. So just kind of letting you know that Grip Hook is going to try to screw Harry over. Mm -hmm. Starts with Ron touching a chicken leg. Of course, that multiplies a bunch. Bumps into Hermione, who hits a cup, and then the multiplying scene happens. Harry gets the Hufflepuff cup that they were after. Grip Hook gets the sword, blows a raspberry again. A Another, Another raspberry. raspberry. The raspberry per minute ratio. Gosh, I need the per 36 numbers on it. Griphook then six the guards on the squad. You run away. You free the dragon. And then the Imperious Goblin starts to walk by. And the dragon roasts him. And he just instantly turns into a Lego skeleton standing perfectly still. But with the added touch of the classic little Lego plastic orange flame that fits on top of his head. Just a note, because I had so many Lego pieces that had those tiny flames, and I thought that that was so incredibly hilarious. 
So you escape on the dragon, which I didn't love because it's one of those plastic molds that is just a dragon as opposed to being made up of little pieces. I get that they probably took this from an actual Lego set that exists, but I just think it's more fun when you've got all the little pieces making something up. So then Harry has a vision of Voldemort and Gringotts. Voldemort thinks of the tiara and groans. He also thinks of Aberforth. So then the squad knows to go to Hogsmeade. They meet up with Aberforth. He saves you from the Death Eaters. And then immediately, right away, you just learn that he's Dumbledore's brother and then Neville comes out of the Ariana painting really just trimming the fat and Neville doesn't look too banged up or anything but he shows up and takes you to the room of requirement and the room of requirement where some of the DA seem to be napping they're like up in hammocks mm -hmm. and just kind of chilling snoozing out it's been a rough couple of weeks at Hogwarts I guess yeah so then you've got the Snape speech scene and they change this and it's so fun for the game where it's Harry and McGonagall fighting against Snape and the Caros. Really fun twist here. Thought that was a really cool tweak of the game. Snape then apparates out and then a floating Voldemort head is there instead of the voice thing, which makes sense because how could you convey it in a game where everybody's just kind of grunting? I thought that was really smart. I was just happy there was no screaming like there is in the movies. Yeah, gosh, that screaming is very rough in the movie. McGonagall then shoots away the head with a spell. Then she gives explosives to Neville after putting up the shield around the school. And Luna then approaches Harry to help with the tiara. She shows a Ravenclaw crest and goes boo to signify ghost of Ravenclaw. Incredible charades work. Harry doesn't get it, so she grabs his arm and yanks him off frame. And then you go up to the Ravenclaw ghost, who surprisingly looks a lot like Hermione. She first snarls at Harry, but then sees Luna and becomes friendly. She helps out. Harry then plants a kiss on her cheek, and then they leave. Yeah, what was with the kiss? Like, can you kiss a ghost? I don't know. I guess a way of saying thank you? Who's to say? I mean, I guess you can kiss a Lego ghost, but it's a little weird. You know, you just got to show affection and maybe the physics of Lego ghosts are different than the physics of the regular ghosts in the series. Because mm. look, closing the door stopped the Dementors, so maybe they can't teleport through stuff. Maybe they're a, a bit more corporeal. Mm -hmm. Then you get to play out the Neville and Seamus explosives scene, which is really fun because you don't really see Seamus do much of that in the movie. So to actually play that level out is really fun. And also, they change the thing that frustrates me so much in the book and the movie, where you don't just bullshit parcel tongue open the door with Ron and Hermione to get into the Chamber of Secrets. They're improving the canon. You get flushed, though. You hear a little flushing noise when they go in there. You do. You do. But I like that it wasn't just Ron going up to the door and mimicking parcel tongue. This is great. They're fixing stuff that I think are problems. Hermione breaks the cup, and then it cuts to Voldemort, who's drinking tea made for him by Lucius, and he just erupts when he feels it being destroyed. So he breaks the shield outside of Hogwarts, and then you get the bridge explosion scene with the Snatchers. They fly in slow-mo, which is really fun. And you have a moment where you basically Lion King, long live the King Mufasa drop to Scabior because he's holding on just with his hand. Great moment. Totally agree. And the moment you mentioned with Voldemort and the tea is the first of several that yes. we're going to get over the next couple of cutscenes. It's really fun. So Hermione and Ron share a kiss. They are holding hands through the hallway and you see Harry getting followed by a cabinet and two chests. And I was very confused. At first I thought, is this 
supposed to be the statues that McGonagall has brought to life, but then out of the chests in the cabinet pop Draco, Zabini, and Goyle. And again, I was very surprised by this and I thought it was very, very funny. Stealth mode. Yes, truly. You get the whole room of requirement scene pretty similar to how it happens in the movie. When you escape, they play this sick guitar riff at the end, just a little which is really fun after a fire-based scene took place. There's also a really great breakdance scene once Harry gets the uh, the diadem oh, yeah, yeah. in the room of requirement. Hermione joins in too. It's really solid, really, really solid. They play a hip-hop beat and Harry does the running man and Hermione does the robot and then the fiend fire gets set off. Great moment. The squad then enters the fray in the Battle of Hogwarts, and it's just absolute bedlam. There is just so much happening, and it's absolute chaos, which I think is a very good representation of what happens when you're reading the book. Fenrir Greyback is attacking Lavender. Hermione tricks him with a bone and then shoots him with a spell in midair, and I like that they have made this less gruesome than what happened in the movie. Super fun. Mm-hmm. And this begs the question, though, in the Lego Harry Potter canon is Lavender Brown alive or dead? Because presumably Hermione saved her. Yeah, I would say in this one, I would lean more towards alive. Which is less than she did for Goyle in The Room of Required. She just kind of pieced out. Oh, yes. Didn't even try. There was no effort made. <laughs> so you cut to Voldemort and Snape, again, drinking tea. And Snape takes the last cookie from Lucius's tray of baked goods. You can't do that. Yep. At that moment, Voldemort six Nagini on him. And I love that the cause of death for Snape was the betrayal of taking the last cookie and eating it before he could give it to Voldemort. Gosh, so hilarious. Sharing is caring. This proves it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Snape lets out a single tear. The squad who's outside then enters. Harry can't get more tears, so Ron offers to punch him. Hermione moves him aside and then presents an onion and puts it in Snape's face and just waterworks unleash. Snape lets out this boo-hoo-hoo-hoo and fills an entire bucket of tears. And Ron gets, I didn't know what he was holding. Was he holding a mop? Maybe. I couldn't tell what it was. I thought it was a mop to go with the bucket, maybe? That seems right. I had a lot of problems with this scene just in terms of understanding it. Right. So I'm glad you just explained it with the onion because now it makes sense. So thank you. Happy to do so. I also wasn't sure at first what was there because the Lego onion looks a little weird and then the mop doesn't necessarily look like a mop. So happy to make sense of it. So then the big Voldemort head calls the temporary truce. Harry runs to the pensive with the bucket, does the memory, and the little flashback scene starts with Snape and Lily at the platform of the Hogwarts Express in love. There's tiny hearts and floating dough Patronuses all around, so I thought it was interesting that they really ramp that up. I guess that's just simpler than trying to explain their complicated friendship. So then you cut to James Potter just walking over in Hogwarts Castle, putting his arm around Lily, and then she gets hard eyes for him, and then walks off. This feels like a bit of a disservice to Lily because it kind of just makes her look like this girl that just jumps from boy to boy. And I felt like that wasn't a very accurate representation of Lily and Snape's relationship. She has real reason to not like Snape and not just, oh, I like James now. So I feel like that was a bit of a disservice, but I also get that it's hard to convey all this stuff. Yeah, it is. This is one of those scenes that I felt like it was a little tough to follow. And so I agree. This is one I, I don't know that's very easy to adapt because there's so much, obviously, that you're seeing in the movie and then even more that doesn't make it from the book. So how do you piece it all together? This one fell a little flat for me. Yeah, I could see it being a bit harder to follow, especially if you weren't familiar with the story already. 
The flashback continues. Snape pledges to Voldemort. Snape then is holding up a dead lily. Snape then goes to Dumbledore. Dumbledore then shows Harry to Snape. And Snape then tells Dumbledore the book six plan. So yeah, it goes really quick. I think of all the flashbacks, this one is done the worst, but it's also one of the harder ones. But also if you didn't know what the story was, you'd be super confused. Flashback continues. Dumbledore shows him the evil hand and the ring. Snape does the spell and then does the motion of cutting his throat and pointing to Dumbledore to signify that he is going to die. Snape then sees Voldemort put a heart into Nagini in the flashback. Then you've got Dumbledore telling Snape that Harry is the final Horcrux, and Snape lets out the same boo-hoo-hoo that he did when the onion was put in front of his face. So Harry relays all of this to the squad and then walks into the forest. He pops open the snitch and the stone comes out, as do his loved ones. And when Lupin shows up, Harry kind of sign languages, oh, you're dead too? And Lupin, who's still smiling, very upbeat about it, nods in agreement to say, yeah, I'm dead, but it's all good. <laughs> I thought that was really well done. The Lupin surprise. Super fun. Harry then proceeds, and Voldemort, again, is drinking tea. This dude, super British. Don't interrupt his tea. Like, look at what happened to Snape. Harry, take note. You were there. You saw, you know, come on. And But you decided you're going to have to do it anyway, and look what happens to you. Don't mess with tea time. Harry then motions for Voldemort to bring it on. Voldemort shoots a spell at him. Harry goes flying. Voldemort gets a bit of chest pain immediately after it happens. And then you cut to the dreamy King's Cross thing, and the baby is is not a creepy, weird embryo type thing. It instead is just the Voldemort head swaddled in a black blanket. And I thought that that was a very funny representation of it. Harry then just punts the baby Voldemort. Why not? Punt a baby, I mean. Which I thought was a very surprising choice, but yeah, why not? It's Voldemort, though. Yeah, it's an evil Voldemort baby, so it's okay. Yeah, that's the one time you're allowed to punt a baby. You cut to the Death Eaters facing off against the students at the castle, and Hagrid is carrying the dead Harry with X's inside his glasses eyes, like inside the circles of the glasses or X's. Harry then removes his glasses, and the X's remain on the glasses, which is really funny. He then blinks around a bit, smiles, and puts his glasses back on, and they are normal. Neville then takes the hat. First, he pulls out a club, but then throws it aside and takes out the sword. He raises it, and I noticed he takes the exact same pose as Luke Skywalker in the A New Hope poster for Star Wars Episode Four, because he raises up, and then Hermione shows up by him, and then two other people show up near him, Ron and someone else, but it is an exact shot-for-shot -shot remake of that poster. What a great little Star Wars bit. I was going to ask you this because I was watching it, and I'm saying to myself, this has to be like a little Easter egg, a little homage to something else. And I'm glad that you just brought up Star Wars. Yeah, it was iconic. They leave it for just long enough where I realized this has to be a thing. And then I Googled that poster because that's what I thought it was. And it was. So Harry and Voldemort then start fighting. You do the Priori and Cantatem thing. Voldemort grabs Harry and flies away, which made me very upset because that meant that this was going to be more like the movie representation of the final fight as opposed to the book one, which I think is so cool. And I'm so sad we never got a real visual representation of that fight because I thought that's just so much cooler. Bellatrix is about to kill Ginny and then you get a level where you get to be Molly Weasley and Kingsley Shacklebolt to save her and what a power dynamic. What a great 
two-person punch. I really enjoyed this. I was not expecting it, but to have Kingsley and Molly together was well done. What a strong one-two punch. They would win many NBA finals if they were your number one and number two. They would just be perennial all-star selections, back-to-back-to-back-to-back titles. Incredible stuff. For sure. And what it reminded me of, and this, when you're talking about just before how we didn't get the full battle in the movie in Deathly Hallows Part 2 the way that it is in the book, like, there's a scene, I believe, too, where like McGonagall, Flitwick, and Slughorn are battling with Voldemort. And to not get that, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Molly then does magic to make Bellatrix's three parts separate and then vanish. I was disappointed that there was no Lego version of Not My Daughter, You Bitch. I was expecting for a mumbled, would have been great, but alas, none was given. But the way Bellatrix dies is still very funny and comical. Then you get the Harry and Voldemort diving off the ledge thing from the movie, and instead of their faces melding, Harry's glasses fly off and fly onto Voldemort's face, and then when they land, Voldemort politely hands the glasses back to Harry, and Harry puts them on, they both kind of chuckle, and then they immediately shoot spells at each other again to do the Priorian Cantatum thing. Neville kills Nagini, the head lands on top of Voldemort's head, Harry takes a bit of a breather, and then back to Priorian Cantatum again, then you have a level of all four fighting off Voldemort, and this moment, wasn't expecting it, should have been expecting it, it mimics the movie, which I think in the movie this is very poorly done, but is so funny when they do this in the Lego thing. 100%. Instead of just being the singular cylindrical type Lego piece, Voldemort's head instead is made up of a bunch of tiny Lego pieces so that when he dies, it breaks into individual Lego cubes and they float off into the sky. A plus, A plus, (laughs) perfect, 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 perfect. So phenomenal. Yeah, it works for Lego. It didn't work for the movie, at least not for me. So I think we're in agreement there. But definitely for this game, the sort of evaporation into thin air with the Lego pieces was really, really cool. It's just perfect decision-making from the game designers to realize anytime something breaks into pieces, we're going to make them Legos. And they did it here, and it worked out perfectly. So then Harry breaks the Elder Wand in half, which makes me sad. Again, movie thing I didn't like. Filch then sweeps it away with a broom, which I thought was really fun. Then it says 19 years later, which I was also very upset about, but it's very quick. You just kind of have the kids on the train and the parents waving goodbye. And that is the end of the Lego Harry Potter years five through seven game. And that's the end of this episode of Potterless. One note I will add to the uh, 19 years later was that Hugo Weasley was eating much like his father. Yeah, he had a big lollipop. Yeah, the lollipop. And Ron tries to kind of go and take it away and Hugo's having none of it. So I thought with everything that we've talked about over the course of the last two episodes in terms of Ron always eating, the fact that his son would be doing the same thing was a really nice like little head nod there. It's perfect. Like father, like son. Well, Micah, thank you so much for joining on. This has been such a wonderful experience. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, podcast-wise, et cetera, where can they do so? So I co-host a Harry Potter podcast called MuggleCast. We release weekly episodes. We've actually been around since 2005, so we're nearing our 16-year anniversary. And the fun thing about that always is when we get emails or tweets from listeners who are younger than the podcast, it always makes us feel nice and old. That's wild. (laughs) 
That is wild. Yeah, you know, like maybe if you were 10 years old, you get an email from an eight-year-old. It's like, okay, fine. But like you're going to be 16, you're getting into that legit age range. But um, as far as where to find us, MuggleCast.com or on social media at MuggleCast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual places also for the podcast that you would um, go to download your favorite pods. So we are, we're in all those spots. So always enjoy coming on. Really appreciate you having me. This was fun. As I, as I said, in the last episode, kind of a throwback to uh, the Lego Potter games. And um, I know we have another big video game. Hopefully we can expect next year, which would be more of an open world type of experience. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I will, I will not be purchasing it. I'm not buying official stuff, but to anyone else playing it, Hope it's a good time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Micah, thank you so much for joining listeners. Thanks for listening. And as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they blow raspberries to someone, wizard on. Hey, if you're looking to explore some new podcasts, the Multitude Podcast Collective has a whole bunch of stuff ready for you. And speaking of exploring, why don't you check out Exolore? If you've ever wondered what life would be like on a planet different from our own or how writers create your favorite fictional worlds, Exolore is the pod for you. Every other week, Dr. Moya McTeer, an astrophysicist and folklorist, explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders, or reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been built. You'll learn, you'll laugh, and you'll gain an appreciation for how special our planet really is. So you can subscribe today by searching for Exolore, E-X-O-L-O-R-E in your podcast app or going to exolorepod.com. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfeliu, Rosemary, Dajmarie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor Kerlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Polly Burge, Zeno now. Harlan Haskins, Nikki Harris, Kine, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Flor Sake, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov Chova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Mariah Riga, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Kevin Stewart, Jarls Fiven, Peter McGrath, Callahan and Darius, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Reese Dignan, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsaker, Sophie Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie De Reif, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mango Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kiedis, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Jack Skitzes, Dane Nemcher, Little One, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, Call Call, Mother Feathers, Ribbon Monstrosity, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmidt, Carries Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Joe Sander, Michael P. V. Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reby, Adriana Hernandez, John Savio, Jody Dunamorphine, Nash Sanadiki, Emma L. Oscar Thomason, Sean Kirkoba, Greg Bonastali, Matthew J. Moreland, Ping Vinachek Nani, Emma Kui, Toph Beifong, Micah Alma Cloward, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Schubert. Our intern is Sherry Guo, and the music is by Bettina Campamanas. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterless pod, instagram.com slash potterless podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash potterless. For any and all information, about the show, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash potterless. Merch lives at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. And tickets to our tour of live shows coming up in August and September lives at potterlesspodcast.com slash live. If you think of someone that might enjoy this podcast, why don't you tell them about it? Reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast called Potterless. I think you would really like it. Or if you want to help the show grow, you could talk about it on social media or leave us a rating interview online. All of these things really help. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on!
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.